1: Well, when the former marketing and digital channels boss at ComBank and Telstra moved to the somewhat challenged Tabcorp last year as Chief Customer Officer, she quipped to MI3 at the time that she likes a bit of a mess. Jenny Barnett has been moving at pace ever since. Tabcorp was a well-known but troubled brand. The old wagering warhorse was fighting off snappy, rowdy and, of course, fast-moving betting startups loaded with big marketing bucks. Tabcorp was mostly lumbering. Jenny's brief as part of a broad overhaul of the company's executive leadership was to make Tabcorp great again. Might have heard that somewhere else. No small ask given the competitive and regulatory environment it's facing. Jenny has already flagged Tabcorp will be all but gone from the once great customer acquisition machine of television advertising. Advertising. Regulation will see to that, but perhaps she's also less convinced it's the wonder it once was. It means a whole new world in digital and customer experience that requires furious change. Perhaps indicative of Jenny's appetite for moving fast and fixing things was Tabcorp's app. It was 10 years old when she landed last year and well behind its competitive set, so the Tabcorp team opted for a bit of crazy, build a new app in six months, launch in time for last year's spring racing carnival, and migrate circa $1 million customers across without any glitches or loss of users, and that was one of perhaps 20 big programs that Jenny was running in parallel. Another small one was a sweeping overhaul of the capabilities and expansion of her customer and marketing teams. Data, analytics, and a massively upgraded tech stack were all capabilities Tabcorp needed talent to develop quickly. So a bit over a year on, how was it all tracking? Jenny Barnett is on the mics today for an update. And I've been waiting a year, Jenny, so welcome. Let's give us maybe a quick recap first, Jenny. Um, What were the key challenges Tabcorp had and has in front of it? And why leave a plum gig in the country's biggest telco for another big legacy company, which probably hasn't perhaps adapted so much or as quickly as Telstra has? So those two big questions before we get into the real stuff. And welcome. Great to have you on.
0: Oh look! Thanks so much, Paul. That's um, quite the the intro, actually, and I really appreciate you having me today. I had an amazing role at Telstra, actually. I wasn't I wasn't looking, but what was presented was really an opportunity to help transform another iconic Australian brand, and and I I love that. I just love something about Australian companies. You know, and just the sort of big, broad nature of them, digital transformation, helping organisations move faster, helping organisations become much more customer centric. So um that really appealed to me. Then, of course, this role is amazing. So uh, opportunity for a C-suite role. It's a very interesting business as well. So um, there's the wagering side, but we're also one of the biggest media companies in Australia, which most people don't know. And then obviously, I also don't want to go somewhere where I've been across everything before. And so there's elements of this role, which I deeply know. Um, But there's also access to, you know, I'm always learning. I think that's really important, no matter where you are in your career. So I've got things in this company that I've never been exposed to before. And that's been really interesting from a growth point of view other things like who i work for is very important see i'm just sharing in my decision making when i think about new roles yeah and also you know particularly with a category like this what was our approach to risk like how seriously or not did we take responsible gambling all those things sort of came into the decision but i'm thrilled that i've i've joined i must say
1: only this week tabcorp's earnings results are out we're recording After those results. So it looks like you are still chief customer officer. So there must be (laughs) something in the results that's given you another year's grace. But tell us, I guess, the top line here on the results that came out of TabCorp. How is the business going in what is pretty interesting times?
0: Yes, I'm still here, Paul. So (laughs) tick as as are my my colleagues and um, Adam Wright and our CEO, when we demerged with the lotteries business last year, handpicked an executive team that had a really Great mix of deep wagering category experience as well as new thinking, and so that that really is working well for us. We yes, we did announce our results um, this week. You know, pleasingly, we're only the only one of the big three wagering operators in in the Australian market. Certainly that that increase revenue and earnings, so that's a big tick. We did really well on cost actually, and we did really well on um, headline growth for sport and racing. We also grew customers so. Uh, For the first time ever, we've grown our digital customers. And this is really only year one of a three-year strategy. So if I think back to the demerger, which was in June last year, you know, I'm always, as are my colleagues and our CEO, you know, we always want more because we can see the vast opportunity available in the company. Um, But it is good to pause and reflect. And actually, from a relative sense, the company is actually quite different to where we, we were a year ago, just in terms of focus pace, performance culture, culture in general. Um, it's really been amazing to be part of that. I've never been involved in a transformation that's that's actually gone so quickly right for a year one so and we've got a lot more to do obviously but yeah fast that's, transformation um,
1: when you talked about though um, for the first time ever you grew digital customers, does that mean that you've had the same number of digital customers since digital began?
0: Yeah, well, we've we've been losing share at a rapid rate, and that actually accelerated during COVID, as you can imagine. And we had these more dim, nimble players coming into the market, and everyone knows the foreign online bookies, um, but they really good on them. They sort of came in during COVID, um, and they created these really good digital propositions, and we we've been slow to to catch up. You know, really pleasingly, in the last year, we've stemmed the bleed, as I call it, so that share that we were losing at a rapid rate has pretty much stabilised and then we've been able to grow customer numbers as well, albeit, you know, 3%, which was in the results. So, but super pleasing. Green shoots, I think, Paul, is how I describe it everywhere.
1: So on your digital market share sort of uh, declines that you've seen in recent years, Jenny, where where was it five years ago? Where was it last year and and where has it stabilised at in terms of your share and how many customers did you lose?
0: We've got an omni-channel business Paul, so I think the context of our overall market share is really important. So digital market share is around uh, 25%. Overall market share is probably 10 points higher because, remember, we've got all the licences in the venues, so cash is still a big part of what we do. So we are an omni-channel business, which is quite different to all the competition. Mm. So what we saw in COVID was that as soon as as venues opened up again, the balance, we just got a rebalance in terms of digital share, stabilising, I would say, and obviously cash and um, customers going into venues So pubs, clubs on the race courses, that obviously increased as venues opened up. So it's sort of just a readjustment back to pre-COVID levels Mm. with an overall sort of shift in share.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating. I guess at the same time though, Jenny, with your digital market share stabilisation and slight growth, probably a bit of that is to do with some reinvention of your digital channels as well. You kind of revamped the app. We'll get to that in a minute. So there's a bit of innovation or update that's might have helped that as well.
0: That's right, Paul. So, look, I think we put out a, a major digital release probably once every three years. I think that's the stat that the that the team have been telling me. And I don't think we've we've had a really good go at a new app probably for 10 years. And so, you know, the digital experience, like for most brands we know, is so important and particularly in this category. So, you know, what I'd say on the app is that was really the the starting point for uh, a revitalised Tabcorp or Tab brand, if you like, in terms of, you know, we just had to play catch up on a few things. We had to fix some customer experiences that were broken. You know, we were having customers click through 30 Thirty things to get to what they wanted to do, just basic kind of e-commerce and customer experience principles that Mm. we just had to go and fix. Now, you know, I'd say we've played catch up, but that's not where we want to be. We want to leapfrog the competition. And I think customer experience, like like a lot of categories, you know, products are commoditized. So, it really does come down to, to customer experience and leading through that and creating differentiation
1: it's a good segue, actually, into um, sort of side course to the Tabcorp conversation. But it, it is that before, whilst you are at, um, at Telstra, you worked with the then CMO, Jeremy Nicholas, um, who's obviously since taken over your old role uh, running digital channels. Um, I think he mentioned something like it's digital channels at Telstra represent something like 80% of all sales and service inquiries for the telco. But in a podcast last year with us as well, Jeremy said that um, in taking over on the channel side, the digital channels you just said it brands are increasingly defined by their customer experience and that now tends to be a digital experience that's what jeremy said as chief customer officer at tabcorp you've got marketing in your remit jenny but there's a whole lot more what's your take on this idea of brand and marketing how it's viewed by the c-suite and this potential shift in in what marketing is and what marketers do and the new capabilities big question sorry but i have to ask you because you've got a big mind
0: I don't know about the big mind, Paul, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I love Jeremy, worked, worked very closely with Jeremy. He's doing an amazing job over there at, um, digital channels at, at the telco. Oh, look, it's really interesting, Paul. So this role, just for context that I've got is, um, I say it's got all my loves. You might have heard me say that before, but it's, yes, the marketing functions, but also revenue, trading or pricing, digital and data and product. So it's quite easy to group those things together in a smaller company. It's much more difficult. Oh, well, actually, I'm just thinking, is it more difficult or or just other larger companies haven't really set up like that in Australia? Mm. What I do know from the US market is that, you know, your CMOs in America are usually number two or three in the company behind the CEO, it's just, it's never been that way in Australia. And I'm not sure what it is, whether it's the way that roles are constructed. I think actually having direct accountability for revenue Mm. makes a lot of difference. Otherwise you can be seen as, you know, the coloring in department, which is what I, I mean, I really dislike that term immensely, but I've heard, you know, marketing teams described like that for many, many years, but so for me, the revenue element is really important because you've got your hand on the P&L and you can affect the numbers. Plus, you know, the great thing about having all those functions together is you can consider the customer experience and the strategy holistically and it really breaks down silos. So that's what I've really noticed in this role,
1: Yeah,
0: um, having all those levers
1: and what about the traditional CMO remit and function and what marketers do? You've spent a lot of time in and around marketing teams and in marketing and in brand and in digital. Is there new capabilities that many marketers need to grasp but they may have not needed you know, hitherto?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for any marketer, you know, this is really obvious, but I believe it deeply, you know, data-driven decision-making with a dash of creativity and intuition is absolutely, you have to be really data-driven. And that that's whether you're in a brand role, when you're in a one-to-one role, whether you're in your digital marketing and acquisition retention, however marketing teams are cut, you have to be deeply data-driven. You have to deeply understand customer journeys. And if you're in an omni-channel business, the way that data connects and that you can get a single view of customer. So I do believe marketers deeply need need those those skill sets. As you know, Paul, I'd been out of marketing proper for a little while before, you know, I had four years in the or five years in the digital business at ComBank before I went to digital at Telstra. So it was a while Um, Since I was out of marketing in terms of the traditional marketing functions, but what I've realized actually in this role is the importance of brand, you can't discount it. So, you know, one of the things that I picked up very early here was that the brand health wasn't, wasn't great the brand strategy was okay, but the execution and the brand health wasn't. And so it's just a reminder to me that that brand continues to be a hugely important part of a company proposition. And it's not about create, people used to say to me when I first arrived, oh, Tab, it's, you know, the brand stuff, it's all about creating awareness. We don't need awareness, like Mm. a lot of big brands in Australia. We actually need brand to create preference and consideration. And so that's really the strategy for us. If you think, about where we've taken we just launched our new brand campaign last week which was sport is our sport you know that was about deeply tapping into something that was inherently Australian being a national debate about sport but also the fact that Tab's not really known for sport. It's very well known for racing, which we love and continue to focus on. But if we're going to grow the company as well, we need to be known for sport. So it was really around, you know, brand and how brand can have a real role in creating preference and consideration and and really showcasing the depth of what a company can offer. So it's just a nice little Mm. reminder since I've been back in the game.
1: Yeah, no, good point. And and I guess that's where it it sort of goes back to sort of Jeremy's line though. So building brand, I guess building brand with your existing customer base, you can do that with digital experience and and, uh, how they engage with you. But if you're trying to build brand beyond, and there's a perception that TAB or TAB is undercooked. How do you fix that? That's a communications as well as a product and experience trio, really.
0: Yeah, I love the way you describe that. So, yes, it's a communication challenge. I mean, I think from our brand's perspective, everyone knows Tab. It's, you know, I think in the category you've got players that are sort of there's a sea of sameness Mm. uh, in terms of how people go to market. Then you've got us, which is probably a little bit old and daggy Mm -hmm. um, and haven't really modernised with the time. You know, blow the old brown cardigan off is what we're trying to do so, that's all well and good, and and we need to reposition the brand. But if you don't have the proof points in the product and experience to back it up, it's a real waste of money. So what we've been very very considered about is actually we need that preference and consideration from a brand point of view. At least people getting share of mind, um, at least considering tab, and then quickly following that up with the the heavy proof points and the so what factor for customers. And then hopefully turn that into conversion. So that's a very deliberate strategy for us in terms of how we've approached that that golden trio that you just mentioned mm. that, that Jeremy had referenced as well.
1: And so just on that, when you talk about, I guess, the communications, the early big mass brand building, hey, we're different, um, the cardigans, the brown cardigans have gone. You've talked earlier to MI3 uh, about, you know, the future for Tab in terms of TV and it role it plays. In the brand campaign, did you use TV or is it now digital channels where you can roll this out? What is your channel mix on that brand build specifically in comms?
0: Yeah, so, you know, as you've um, probably or all the listeners have probably read and know because we live it right, we've been really clear that we believe there's too much gambling advertising on on TV, particularly when families are watching Sport on free-to-air, which still rates exceptionally well. So we've said we won't – we haven't said, just to be clear, we're pulling out of TV, but we do believe it needs to be moderated. And, um, you know, there has been a government inquiry. We're not sure what will come down from that, but we've made it very clear in terms of our position. So we we won't advertise on TV between 6.30am and 8.30pm. Right. So we're not doing that, but we're, um, you know, outside those hours we are. And because I do think that TV still has a really um, important role as a mass channel, mm. mass reach, mm. but, you know, we need to read the room, Paul, like the community's sick of it, you know, when we all know we've got friends that that talk about the amount of gambling advertising or their kids are talking about Maltese, and that's kind of really, yeah. really sad. So I think it's gone way too far, but so it does need to be moderated. And certainly that's, that's the line we've voluntarily taken and and put into place before we've got government guidelines being handed down, which will come and probably should come. So, yeah, for the campaign, in terms of what we're doing, it really is an integrated, the good old integrated campaign. So, we've got mass channels, you know, digital. We've got a lot of owned assets as well. If you think about our Sky brand, the 4,000 venues that we've got, we've got 50,000 screens in those venues. Obviously, our digital channels, etc. So we are using the full depth and breadth of our channels, both owned and paid.
1: So, if you're not going to advertise, you know, between I think you said six and eight, or eight thirty. I think six am and eight thirty. What? do you do instead? It's been a machine that's, uh, you know, worked all right for a bunch of different sectors, uh, television that is. So does it mean that there is now a whole lot more going into digital? Are you, where does the budget and and strategy refocus to keep delivering on what you need to happen, Uh, Jenny?
0: Yes. So I think, yes. So we've made a very digital, a deliberate digital shift ourselves. And we've been doing that over the last yeah the other thing that we we are really focused on is personalization and using the scale of our own owned channels which I do believe there's a lot of upside in and so uh you know I think any company or brand with a lot of first party data with big customer bases you know which is why I'm so passionate about investing in the digital experience how you personalize content and messages in in behind the login, because that is really contextual for customers. And I know just from my experience, it works. So that's where we've sort of reorientated, Paul, more below the line, more digital. Uh, As I said, we're not getting out of outdoor and and TV. We're just moderating it uh, ourselves. Uh, So it's a bit more of a balanced view.
1: How do you find, though, so I get personalisation for your your existing customer base when they engage with you in in any of your channels and platforms. But how do you acquire new customers if you're not out there trying to get on the consideration set of of people who may be with competitors or not not doing it at all? What is your kind of activity for consideration at least?
0: Yeah, so we're focused on content's a huge play for us. So just even basic things like telling people about what they can and can't do in the app, Via social, via digital, that's really what we're utilising to get scale, but in a very, very targeted way. So we will, we will be continuing to to do that, Paul. But but more via social and digital versus TV. But that will be in the mix, and more um, informational type messages than sort of pushing hardcore offers down down people's throats. So I think content. For a lot of brands, you know, it's such an important part of the mix in mm. terms of storytelling. You know, in our context, it's, you know, let's we know sports fans are fanatical, you know, let's tell them about some interesting tips and tricks about their their favorite player or their favorite team. And that that engages people, right? And that creates an affinity with the brand and considerations. So right. We'll find a way to do that, but it's it's less about the product push, it's more around the engagement and the actually focusing on racing and the stories behind racing and sport, rather than just shoving offers down everyone's neck, which is quite, I think that's sort of a pretty old style way of, of marketing.
1: Got it. Personalization, you talk about it, and I think we had a great combo a few years back when you were one of the few to actually call out some of the the myths uh, sitting around personalization, but for you, you've, you have identified it as a big priority at, at TAB. What is personalization for you, Jenny? What does that mean you know, in a context of your customer base? And what's the upside? What does it deliver that is so much better than a non-personalized communication or experience? And I, I guess I'll ask you to draw on some of your learnings from previous gigs uh, where you saw improvements, but you clearly think there's some upside here. What does it look like and what is personalization for you?
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a buzzword, isn't it, um, mm. <laughs> Paul? And I think every company's just got to find the context that makes sense for them. So just to maybe give you a couple of examples in sort of in how we're thinking about it is if you're interested in sport only, for example, when you go into our app, you know, don't show me content about racing as the first thing that I see. You know, that, that sounds pretty basic, mm. but that's that's where we've got to get to, right? you know, then you can create or curate an experience based on the customer's behaviour. So, you know, maybe they like to engage in content from tipsters. Maybe they like to see stories about a horse or a particular person. Maybe they like a particular trainer. Maybe they own a horse. So you can start to curate content based on customer preferences. And in previous companies that I've worked in, you do that really well. You can see anywhere between five and ten times the conversion because, you know, you're removing the noise, you know your customers, and you're just giving them things that are relevant to them. Mm. And I think that's really important. It's it's about relevance and it's about context. You know, if I'm walking into Roundwick Racecourse or Flemington or Gold Coast Race Club, you know, like, talk to me about welcome, have a great day, here's some things that you might be interested in today, here's a horse that you might have bet on before, you know, here's the racetrack conditions for the day. So it's personalising to the context. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get to one-to-one, you know, it'll be one-to-many, but for me it's around curating an experience in context. So talk to me if I'm in a venue like I'm in a venue. Talk to me in a stadium if I've just walked into a stadium. Talk to me on a racetrack if I've just walked into a racetrack. And I know that that will drive conversion because I've seen it when you can be really contextual.
1: But tell me, though, you did say earlier, though, that, you know, you want to be able to deliver to, let's say someone comes in on the app that you know that they're not into horses, they're into some other sport. Don't feed them racing. Don't give them racing content and messages. Give them something that's relevant to them. That suggests that you're getting down to some sort of segment level that you can deliver certain content for. How many segments do you think you'll be personalised to?
0: So yeah, I mean, look, if I could just get four different experiences.
1: Right. <laughs> at the That's moment four or... times more than what you've got.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we're doing we're doing bits around the scenes and we know exactly what we have to do, but if I can just get four macro segments, that would be amazing just to start off with, right? Mm. And you don't flip it over day one. You kind of, you know, you test and learn. Mm. But, you know, then you kind of go, well, someone like me who bets or has loves to have a punt on the Melbourne Cup or the Everest or the Magic Millions or the the big sports, I'm sorry, racing events, like give me an experience that talks to me about what I like, which is the entertainment of the day. It's the names of jockeys that I might know, Mm. don't make me go hunting for information because I'm not in there all the time. Whereas for a regular punter, you'd curate an experience quite differently. So if we could just start with four, that'd be amazing. (laughs) And then, you know, you don't want to overcook it either because it gets complex to manage in the back end, right? Until you've sort of got everything automated. So, you know, we might end up with eight, nine, 10 macro segments, if you like. And then within the pages, you know, you can personalise offers and content and things, but I wouldn't probably want to do any more than than 10.
1: And do you have, where are you on that trajectory? And do you have the tech and the capability to do that now, or this is part of the sort of the ongoing uh, build-out?
0: No, we've got the tech and capability. We've just got to execute on it. So we've got obviously the Adobe stack. We're lifting our digital uh, and design team at the moment. So I think digital design's been quite a a gap in what we what we do here, as has sort of digital journey optimization. So I'm really comfortable with building out the team there. You obviously need the, the tech. With, as I said, we're deep in Adobe. Uh, and then we've been investing in uh, our data, making sure that we can get a single view of customer. Uh, and I've hired some absolutely cracking data and analytics people, which are really uh, making a world of difference in a short space of time. So I feel like we've got all the elements, Paul. It's just coming down to, speed of execution.
1: Yeah, I know the feeling. And so this leads nicely into sort of this new set of performance KPIs that you've brought into the business um, for your teams. It's just all, they're all digital, right? Can you unpack that? So what are they and why have you done digital metrics or digital KPIs for your teams? What were they before?
0: So I think um, like most big companies, you've got a balanced scorecard. So, you know, we have customer and growth metrics, we have financial metrics, we have people and culture and leadership metrics, and we have customer care and community uh, metrics as our four buckets in terms of a balanced scorecard, which I think is is really, really important. We've put a light on the hill around digital revenue market share, and that really was a way to galvanise the company to focus around you know, we need to get digital if we're going to grow. And so that has proven to be really successful. You talk to most people in the company, they'll talk about digital market share because they know that we've got to win in digital for the long game. So when I say win in digital, you know, that could still be people using the tab app in a venue or at home on course. So when I say digital, it could be you know, as I said, in, in one of our agency stores, or it could be could be in the pub or whatever it is, it's about getting people to, to use the green over the others. Mm. Yeah, so that's what we're focused on there. And then, of course, we look at lots of things. We look at traditional marketing metrics around, you know, share of voice, cost per acquisition, where acquisitions coming from, lifetime value, conversion metrics for digital, you know, so all those things that you'd see a a marketing or a customer or a data team typically manage or Mm. a digital team. So we got a full scorecard, but the digital focus has really been amazing to galvanise the company around a focus area.
1: Well, it does have quite material implications too, I think, for your team skills and capabilities, right? And I think you've been sort of, you've been going pretty hard on it and finding and hiring new talent. Um, what does all that look like today uh, in terms of your talent and capabilities before transformation and sort of mid-post-transformation? What's changed about your teams?
0: Yeah, quite a lot. I mean, I think early on I'd said, look, I think we require less traditional marketers and more digitally led marketers or or skill sets. And I sort of, you know, that that holds true. What I would say though, so before we're probably a very traditional marketing team in the sense of probably very overweight on above the line, very overweight on media partnerships, which weren't returning anything. Now we've renegotiated all those and we've got some great partnerships with with all the um, sort of media uh, companies now because we've renegotiated and relooked at all of those. And then we've obviously switched to digital in terms of acquisition and customer engagement as a strategy. What what I've been surprised about, though, is as I've sort of made structural changes, it's really amazing to see talent step up. Right. So I always look at people that are second or third in charge. And you can often see, see a lot of talent in people that are second or third in charge, and often, often, sometimes, if you remove a leader or you move them out or you move them around across the organisation, it's really amazing to see teams step up. And I must say, the the team that we've um, we had originally, we've now shaped it into a brand marketing and media team. And just bringing media and marketing together has made such a huge difference in terms of how we go to market. And I haven't brought any additional new talent in to do that. It's the existing team. I mean, I've brought someone in to lead that team, but the people um, people outside that are, are the same people and they've all just really stepped up. So that's been super, super great to see.
1: Just just unpack and, that for you, Jenny. I'm going to interrupt because it's interesting. When you say you brought media and marketing together and it's made such a difference, what, how, what, what's different?
0: So I think um, pretty obvious to me early on is, you know, we sort of had brand and marketing very separate to media and partnerships. Right. So you can't, and, again, this has sort of played out really well as we've just launched our new campaign, you can't plan your marketing, your brand and marketing strategy without bringing the media, your media agency and partners into the mix early. Mm. So it should be one brief right, it should be one brief on the business and customer problems that you're trying to solve, whereas before we had media agency be brief late, if at all, then everyone had scramble. So all I'm really saying is is that that tight connection between media strategy, marketing strategy, brand strategy, you have to, in my view, do that as one. Mm. Because it's one problem you're trying to solve and then each of those elements play a role. So that's what we've kind of um
1: the band-aid a off you yeah, like no, on that no, one, like, Paul. Like it makes sense. And then
0: I've spent a lot of time looking for really good data and analytics people. I have deliberately looked at banking for some of these key roles because people in data and analytics in banking, they've had a lot of exposure to risk scoring you know responsible lending they know how to manage risk and commercials so i felt that that was a really good skill set to bring into this company given the nature of what we do so we've we've really built out the data and analytics team and i'm really really pleased with how that's going and then i think we've still got a bit of work to do on our digital team in terms of you know understanding customer journeys digital metrics that are bread and butter for any digitally led or e-commerce company. We're just not quite there yet, but mm. we're getting there.
1: Just out of interest, um, what is better uh, as a result of bringing media, marketing and brand together tighter? What's the output or is it process? that's just smoother, strategies, clarity, or is there actually, um, you know, results that are better as a result of it as well?
0: Oh, I'd say it's all of the above. So it just, A, it just makes sense you know, um, from a process and efficiency point of view, you end up, you know, it's more efficient. You can plan better, which means you can get better rates Yeah. uh, with your media planning. You can actually be involved. Having the media team in there early means you can actually get across the strategy and you can plan for that and do things differently. So you don't waste as much money, you don't waste as much time and actually the outputs are better. I mean, I I can't believe what the team came up with for this latest campaign we've got, which we would never have got to under our other structure. Right. So it's the cohesive, single-minded nature of what we're trying to do as a business and then everyone's got a role to play in that and, um, you know, that's been a real step change for us in terms of our way of working with with the agency villagers as well.
1: When you say you can't believe, what can't you believe that's so much better? teaser there?
0: Oh, just the, well, people are much happier being brought in early.
1: Yeah, Um, I bet they are. The supply chain would um, be.
0: Yeah, so just even the, you know, the agencies feel part of it. You know, we've got some brilliant agencies that we work with that probably hadn't been utilised to their full potential. Mm. Um, So actually saying you're here to help us, grow and win. And what do you think? And here's the problems we're trying to solve. Amazing. It just makes for a more cohesive agency village and people feel part of it. So it's just felt different. It's felt easier. It's felt more strategic. It's been better planned. We're not scrambling at the end. And it's really reduced the silos internally.
1: The context here is, I guess, for you is how disruptive is it going to be for you and what you do with your teams and your output? But also, if we think, if I think about some of the conversations I've have been having with other CMOs, CCOs around this, there's a lot of talk, particularly in banking, finance, and, and retail, a lot, a lot of talk about how AI is going to help deliver personalization at scale uh, in creative messaging, um, generating creative that's personalized to, you know, segments of much tighter and smaller than what they are doing now. What's your sense on all that, Jenny, and AI generally for your business and your remit?
0: Yeah, I mean I think we've got to be careful. It's like personalization when that became the buzzword. We've got to be kind of careful or you've got to be really clear on what you mean by AI. Mm. For us, and because I think you can, you know, just if I think about any company, it's sort of where to start and what's the right context for your business. I think that's probably the the questions to ask. I mean what we're looking at AI Four is, and which I think is a brilliant use case, is how we make our products safer. So if you think about our category, we've just actually partnered with a company called Mindway AI, and they use sort of cutting edge technology to detect changes in custom behaviour faster. So if you think about that in our context, it's we're after proactive intervention when we think customer behaviour might have changed. Are they betting more? You know, are they betting at different times of the day than they would have? So, we're going to use AI in that context to look at customer patterns and then intervene proactively, right, which I think is a really what I call a killer use case, particularly for our so, so, is, know, that any, so is that in the
1: context of uh, identifying risk users at risk rather than, yeah. yeah, right.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then you can intervene and you can say, actually, do you need to take a break? You know, you can work out what the right customer interventions are. It could just be a text. It could be a, you know, it could be a phone call. It could be a phone call from a relationship manager. So that that for me is a really brilliant use case for AI where you're detecting patterns around customer behaviour. So I really like it from that perspective. Yep. We're also looking at chat GPT on... Um- you know things like can you plug a, a very complex policy document into that and and get it to convert it in plain English? Mm. Like so, we're sort of we're sort of thinking about how you can do process simplification through some of the use cases as well. Yeah, I think it's it's a watching brief for for the for the industry. I think Paul um, and as I said, I think it's just about working out what the con- right context is. For your category, your company, uh, and then just being clear on the problems you're trying to solve. Otherwise, you could go down a a rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like you're very much looking at it from a sort of a back office compliance uh, basis, uh, initially at least. And then, you know, maybe it rolls into some of your customer facing uh, activity down the track, or that's not even on your radar yet.
0: Yeah, it will be. So, you know, I think every, um, most companies these days are already using some level of of AI to drive targeting behavior or et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, you know, how does that play out over time? So I think a lot of companies are already using AI. Mm. But again, I think policies, data ethics, data governance, all that sort of stuff is going to become increasingly important. For companies,
1: while you're talking, I thought, oh, it's been about a week or ten days. Have you seen any uh, early impact from your brand campaign? Anything you've noticed? A search, volume, sometimes you see search volumes go through the roof, or you see some sort of ancillary effect that happens uh, from brand. Have you have you got, uh, what's your take on it so far?
0: No, it's so early. We're only about three days in. Oh,
1: right, sorry. That's... So,
0: so it's really early. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I think what's been really nice about it, we've you know, we've made it about sport and racing, not about gambling. And we've really tapped into Something that's part of the Australian psyche, and we really wanted to be authentic and, and Australian in the way that we we did it. Mm. So um, we're very hopeful, Paul. Good, good <laughs> yes. signs. We've had we've had good feedback from industry. You know. Um, It's always a sign what your family and friends think, isn't it? It As well, so um, so it's all you know. We're we're really we're really pleased with it. So I can't wait to see um, how it impacts.
1: I promise you, we'll follow up on that in in a few months. We'll we'll test it.
0: What's your favourite sport? What's Australia's national sport from your perspective? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble!
1: You're going to get me in trouble! I'm I'm unfortunately a rugby union tragic. So nothing to do. Nothing to do with the mainstream culture. It's a sort of you know off to the side bunch of crazies that talk to themselves. So yeah, I'm probably not a great. I'm not a good one on that one, Jenny. (laughs) I'm giving you leverage to to give me grief. Hey, and I'm going to move it right along in case you do. Um, Final question is: Okay, so what's next? You're a bit over twelve months in. The next twelve months, what will we see? What uh, What's going to happen?
0: Yeah, big 12 months ahead. So we're we're year one into our three year transformation. So I think you know, continue to reposition the brand, build those digital proof points and digital experiences. You know, we'll do more on content. Data and analytics is going to be huge and unabler, enabler for us. Mm. And obviously, customer care is super important for the category. So you know, the strategy is right. We've seen all the green shoots. Uh, we've now just got to double down and, and execute and accelerate. So super, super exciting times ahead, Paul. Yeah, and
1: a, and a big workload. I think Jenny Burnett, Chief Custom Officer at Tabcorp, really good conversation, good start. I think, you know, good basis for a follow-up down the track um, also. So thanks for joining and we watch with great interest.
0: Thanks for your time, Paul. Appreciate it.
1: This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's my, producer Nick Slater,